Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. We are honored to be joined by Rabbi Bezalel Naor for his talk on Rav Cook's universalism. And so glad to be partnering with Beth L. Phoenix on this event. So I'm going to turn it over to Wendy to introduce today's guest speaker. Thank you, Alex. And it is a pleasure once again for Beth L. to be collaborating with Valley Bit Midrash in this wonderful opportunity to continue our adult education, which is something that we do all the time as Jews, as adult learners. And it is my pleasure to introduce Rabbi Bitzalel Naor. Rabbi Naor is the author of many works of Jewish thought in English and Hebrew, philosophy, Kabbalah, and Hasidism, with a major concentration on the writings of the great seer of Israel, Rav Cook, He is also the translator of Orot, Rav Cook's seminal work. Rabbi Naor's published books include Navigating Worlds, Collection, Collected Essays, Volume 1 and 2, The Legends of Rabbi Bar Barhana, The Koran, Rav Cook Sidur, when God Becomes History, Historical Essays of Rav Cook, Mahol La Tzadikim, The Controversy Between Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato and Rabbi Itzik Epstein of Homel Concerning the Divine Design of Creation, Kana Ute de Pinchas, The Kabbalah of Relation, and last but certainly not least on my list, The Limit of Intellectual Freedom, Letters of Rob Cook. Rabbi, take it away. I, I want to thank uh, Rabbi Shmuley Anklowitz. I want to thank uh, Alex and Wendy and whoever else uh, made this event possible. Uh, as I've been telling Alex and Wendy, uh, here in the Northeast, um, because of wildfires up in Canada, there is uh, smoke inhalation, and it's affected my airways, my air passages. So, um, yeah, bear with me. My eyes are itching, and my nose is running, and my throat is throaty. That having been said, uh, you know, we have two uh, Torah. There's the uh, the written Torah and the oral Torah. So I think before we launch into Rav Cook's uh, written Torah, his writings, I want to share with you an anecdote, uh, something experiential. I call it the Torah Shabal Pev, Rav Cook. When I was in my early 20s, I uh, had this chut, I had the merit to meet Rav Cook's uh, one and only son. His name was Tzvi Yehuda, who lived to a ripe old age of uh, 92. And uh, when I got to him, he was already uh, an octogenarian. 
and he didn't know me and I didn't know him. And I, it was a walk-in, literally. I just walked into his house and he received me. And uh, I had been thinking ahead of time, what would be a good opening line? And I blurted out something like, your father, meaning the famous Rav Kook, the, the chief rabbi of Israel, your father had so much havat Yisrael, had so much love of Israel, love of the Jewish people. I thought that would be a good uh, dateline. And uh, this uh, old man sitting opposite me burst out laughing, and he couldn't contain his laughter. And I was wondering, what in my statement did he find so risible? And uh, after he was able to contain his laughter, he explained to me, he said, you know, you're telling me that my father loved the Jewish people. The truth is, my father loved the entire world, cosmos, universe. And uh, he pointed to a plant and he said, in Hebrew, even the vegetable kingdom. And uh, in his humble abode, there was, uh, they're called uh, Balatot. The um, their tiles, their stone tiles, and he he reached down and he wrapped on one of these stone tiles. It's uh, called Jerusalem stone, and he said, "Aphilodomeim, even the minerals, even the mineral kingdom." So here you have the the testimony of the great man's son that. Um, Yes, he was famous for his uh, love of the entire Jewish people without differentiation, without distinction, but it went beyond that. He really was in love with the entire universe. And uh, we're going to be reading a passage from Rav Cook's writings, which will bear this out. Rav Cook's... Uh, Talmud, his disciple, the Nazir, because uh, he was a Nazarite, he had long hair. His name was Rabbi David Cohen, who edited Rav Cook's works, called this particular uh, piece uh, Shir Merubah. And uh, in English, it goes by the title Fourfold Song, very famous. So, Alex, can you put it up first in Hebrew? I just want them to see the beautiful typography, and then we'll do English. This uh, editor of Rav Kook, who was his uh, disciple, Rabbi David Cohen, the Nazir, was a, a fabulous editor, and uh, he had an eye for typography. And if you notice, it's, it's beautiful typography. It was done way back in the 1920s and 30s, and uh, it's still gorgeous to this day. Okay, so now, Alex, let's put up the English translation, and uh, you can read along with me. Shir Merubah, a fourfold song. There is one who sings the song of his soul, and in his soul he finds all, full spiritual satisfaction. And there is one who sings the song of the nation. He goes out of the circle of his individual soul, which he does not find capacious enough, nor in a state of ideal composure. 
He aspires to mighty heights and cleaves with a delicate love to the totality of Knesset Yisrael, Ecclesia Israel. With her, he sings her songs, suffers her troubles, and delights in her hopes, thinks lofty and pure opinions about her past and her future, and investigates with love and wisdom of the heart the inner content of her spirit. And there is one whose soul broadens even more until it goes out and expands beyond the boundary of Israel to sing the song of man. His spirit stretches to the genius of mankind and the majesty of its image. He aspires to its overall destiny and looks forward to its perfection. From this source of life, he draws the totality of his thoughts and researches, his ambitions and his visions. And there is one who broadens even beyond this until he unites with all of existence, with all the creatures, with all the worlds, and with all of them he utters song. This is the one who every day delves into Perik Shirah, who has assured the world to come. And there is one who ascends with all of these songs together in one symphony, all lend their voices, all harmonize together. Each contributes to the other vitality and life, the sound of joy and the sound of happiness, the sound of jubilation and rejoicing, the sound of gladness and the sound of sanctity, the song of the soul, the song of the nation, the song of man, and the song of the world, all together constantly combine in his midst. And this perfection evolves to a holy song, the song of El, the song of Israel, in the might of her strength and glory, in the might of her truth and greatness. Yisrael, Shir El, a simple song, a twofold song, a threefold song, a fourfold song. The song of songs of Shalomo, of the king, that peace, Shalom, is his. So you're getting a taste of Rav Kook. The debate continues to this day whether he should be categorized as a philosopher or a poet. I hope you'll agree with me that he's both. He's a great philosopher and a great poet. And he has this vision. He's a, a cosmic thinker. It's a, uh, a messianic vision. And um, I'm going to share with you bits and pieces of other writings of his. And by the way, a, a recurrent term in Rav Cook's writings is Oro Shel Mashiach, the light of the Messiah. And people ask me, did Rav Cook think that he was the Messiah? I don't think so, but I think that he... Um, credited himself with the ability to look into the future, to be a futurist, and uh, to get a, a glimpse, I would call it, of the Yemot HaMashiach, of the, the Messianic era. But that's a very important term in Rav Cook's writings. It comes up all the time, Orosha Mashiach, the light of Mashiach. The next piece I'm going to share with you uh, comes from Alex. Can they see something if I hold it up? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, you might okay. just have to raise it a bit. Yeah. Okay. 
This is a work that Rav Cook published on the eve of World War I in 1914. It's called Arpale Tohar, Clouds of Purity. And um, as the other writings of Rav Cook, it came out of a spiritual journal. Rav Cook was not a systematic thinker. He was an inspired writer. He kept spiritual journals, was constantly writing. And uh, down the line, these journals would be organized by his disciples, such as the man I mentioned before, the Nazir, because he had the long hair. His name was Rabbi David Cohen. Rav Cook's son, whom I had the privilege of knowing quite well, Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook, and others. Uh, but this Arpale Tohar is a unedited, uncensored journal. And uh, today we have eight of them. They're called Shmonak Fatsim. It's only in the past years that they have been revealed. They were... Uh, kept in manuscript. And as I said, students would go into them and take out pieces. But uh, this Arpale Tohar is the COVID's bet. In that collection of the Shmonak Fatsim, of the eight journals, this today is uh, listed as COVID's bet. That's the second journal. But Rav Cook titled it Arpale Tohar. And here is a, a pensée, a thought of Rav Cook. Mashiach Yifaresh Torah Moshe, the Messiah will interpret the Torah of Moses. So the Messiah will reveal how the entire world, all of the peoples, all of the, the parties, all of us who make up the, the family of man, we're all deriving our spiritual vitality from the same foundation. <inaudible> Nevertheless, the Mashiach will fit the spiritual content to each nation according to its heredity, Today we'd probably call it DNA. So again, Mashiach will know how to tailor it to the, the temperament, the climate. All the economic differences among nations. And the, the different characteristics of each people. So each nation will receive individualized, customized attention, but it's all deriving from that same divine source of inspiration. All will derive nourishment from one source. So this is Rav Cook's vision of 
mankind in the future, uh, in what we call Yemot HaMashiach, the Messianic era, where there will be room for diversity. There will be a great spiritual uh, awakening, uh, enhanced spiritual consciousness, but it will not uh, deprive uh, peoples and individuals of their specificity. This is a very important teaching of Rav Kook. And he goes on, he says, Every word will be subdivided into 70 languages. So um, there will be a spiritual unity there will be uh, unity uh, within the uh, diversity or diversity within the, the unity. Today, we have something from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, which was not available for uh, hundreds of years. You may have heard that um, there are similarities between Rav Kook and Rabbi Nachman. This... Uh, relationship between Rav Kook and the, the teachings of Rabbi Nachman started in Yafo. The, the first uh, 34 years of Rav Kook's life were spent in Chutzlaretz. He was uh, living in uh, Lithuania and Latvia. And uh, he was born in 1865. In 1904, he arrives in Yafo. Jaffa. Today, uh, it uh, borders the large city, the large metropolis of Tel Aviv. But at that time, it was a, a sleepy uh, Mediterranean port, Jaffa, Jaffa. And Rav Kook took up the rabbinate. He was invited to be the rabbi of Jaffa. And it's at this time that he becomes aware of the teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. And I have this from both sides. I have it from Rav Tzviuda Kook, who I mentioned before, uh, after that one meeting, which was kind of clumsy, uh, we got off to a, a, a wonderful relationship, went on for some time. Uh, we would meet and study one-on-one. -on -one. So I heard about Rav Tzviuda Kook. Excuse me. I heard about Breslov from Rabbi Tzviuda Kook. But I also uh, heard from the Breslover Hasidim. Uh, the, the name of the man, the name of the Breslover Hasid who turned Rav Kook on to the teachings of Rabbi Nachman. And in Breslov, he's known as Rabbi Avram Rav Nachman. Halevi Chazan, the last name is Chazan, and if you know anything about Breslov, you know that after Rabbi Nachman, there were no more Rebbe's. He was, he's the, the Rebbe until Mashiach comes. But they would have manhig, what they call Manhigim, they would have leaders. The greatest was uh, Rabbi Nachman's student, Rabbi Nathan of Nemerov and Breslov, and he's the one who uh, acted as Rav Nachman's scribe. He, he uh, 
composed Likutei Moran, and in every generation they would have leaders, but they did not have the title Rebbe. So in Rav Kook's generation, there was this man, Rabbi Avram Rabbi Nachman, who would pay visits to Rav Kook in Yafo and uh, educate him in Breslov Hasidism. Why am I bringing all of this up? Because today you can buy this book. I'm showing you the, the English. There is a Hebrew. It's called The Scroll of Secrets. In Hebrew, it's called Megillat Starim. And uh, Professor Tzvi Mark did us a great service. This, this is published by Academic Press in Boston. Anybody wants to buy it, it's wonderful. What is Megillat Starim? It was, as its name indicates, it was a, a secret scroll. It was something that was never published hitherto. And uh, it was uh, encrypted. It was in code. So that even if it fell into the wrong hands, you wouldn't be able to decipher it. I, I couldn't decipher it, but uh, the Professor Mark has the uh, facsimile of the, the Hebrew, and uh, he deciphers it and, and into Hebrew and translates it into English. And I'm going to read you a passage from this Megillat Starim. Oh, what is it all about? This is Rabbi Nachman's vision of Mashiach. So you could understand why this was something that was under wraps for for hundreds of years. It, it didn't go out of the that closed circle of the uh, of the adepts of the the, the breast of Hasidim, the, the initiates. Those had been initiated into breast of Hasidism, and. Uh, I'll just give you a couple of lines. Um, let's see, first I'll try in Hebrew, although it's encrypted, as I told you. He says, "Hakach isa lechol hamedinot biaselahem nimusim samuch ledat Yisrael gam yu tefilot." Let me translate that into English. It's referring to the Mashiach. Again, this is Rabbi Nachman's vision of the Messiah. Afterwards, he will travel to all the kings, and he will make for them customs similar to Israel's religion. Also, there will be prayers that the nations will pray. So, one thinks that perhaps this passé of Rav Kook from Arpalei Tohar might have been inspired by the Megillat Starim of Rabbi Nachman. I don't know to what extent um, Rav Kook and his son, my teacher Rav Tzviuda, were initiated into the, the secrets of Breslov Hasidim. Again, this was reserved for very few, this Migilat Starim. It was handed down in, in every generation and uh, didn't go out of a very close circle. But if it's conceivable that Rav Cook 
read Rabbi Nachman's Megillat Starim. So that would have served as a, a paradigm for this kind of thinking, that the Mashiach, as Rav Kook says, Yifaresh Torah Moshe, he will interpret the Torah of Moses in a way that makes it universal, accessible to all the nations of the world. But again, it has to be customized and, and tailored to the, the, the spiritual needs of each nation. And each nation has different, different temperament, different uh, spiritual needs. So that's coming right out of the Miglat Starim of Rabbi Nachman. That's how Rabbi Nachman foresaw the Mashiach, that he will preach to the, the nations and uh, create uh, for each nation's Nimusim Samuch Ladat Yisrael. It won't exactly be the Jewish religion, but it will be close. It will be uh, a variation on the theme. And Rabbi Nachman says that Mashiach will compose prayers for each of the nations. They won't have to daven from our Siddur. Each nation will have its own Siddur, its own uh, prayer book uh, adapted by the Mashiach. So this is something that I think came to me today in preparation for this shiur. I had this flash that, that what Rav Kook is saying in our Palais Torah might have been inspired by Rabbi Nachman's Megillat Starim, which has been around. Rabbi Nachman passed away when, 1811, I think. It's been around for a long time. I want to speak about the halachic category of Ger Toshav. This is something very important in Eretz Yisrael today because uh, we Jews in the state of Israel are once again in the driver's seat. Uh, we are in power. We didn't have such uh, power for 2,000 years since the destruction of uh, of the temple and our state by, by the Romans back in uh, 70 CE. So 2,000 years later, we uh, are once again uh, in power. We have political power. We, we have a, a, a nation state, we, a political entity. And uh, that thrusts certain responsibilities upon us towards the, the minorities that are living in Israel who are not Jewish. And I marvel how Rav Cook had such sensitivity to the plight of human beings who uh, will be living in a Jewish state who are not Jewish, and they will be the minority. Uh, and I think that this sensitivity uh, predated his arrival in Eretz Yisrael. As I said, uh, the first uh, 34 years were spent in Eastern Europe and in, in, uh, in Russia and in, in, in Lithuania and Latvia. And he was already thinking ahead. What will be that one day there'll be a, a reconstituted Medinat Yisrael, there'll be a state of Israel. And 
this halacha category of the ger toshav, the resident alien, will come into play once again. And I'm going to share with you a couple of passages that I think uh, were written already back in Eastern Europe. Now, I'm holding up another book. Uh, it's been out of print for many years. It was done by Betzalel Naorhu. And uh, it's called Of Societies Perfect and Imperfect. Uh, years ago, I had a friend who was a professor of sociology. He was quite good. He was a Yaley. He had come out of Yale. And uh, he was roommates with uh, Lieberman, with Joe Lieberman, who was a senator from Connecticut. Anyway, in fact, uh, Joe Lieberman was at my friend's daughter's wedding. Anyway, when I shared the book with him, he told me, I'm going to develop a course in sociology around your book, because it's so amazing what Ruff Cook has to say. Ruff Cook wore so many hats, you know, we already have him as a philosopher and a poet, but he's also a sociologist. He's uh, a Kabbalist uh, slash sociologist. So these are selected, as you see on, on the uh, cover, selected readings from Einayar of Cook's commentary to the Ein Yaakov legends of the Talmud. And again, just a snippet. A stranger and resident, and he will live among you, says the Torah, in relation to Gentiles who live among us in our land. We insist only that he desist from an evil and injurious path and be a straight man according to the Noahide Code. That's the seven Noahide commandments. Inasmuch as he has a nation and a homeland for which he longs and has affection, he is a stranger. Nevertheless, the Torah recognizes him as a resident in terms of affability, freedom, and human rights. Let your heart not persuade you to rob him of his natural feelings for his people and land, making him simply a resident, rather a stranger and a resident, and he will live among you. So you're hearing this great sensitivity that there could be someone living in the state of Israel of a different nationality, and uh, we we have to go with that. You know, we, we cannot um, rob people of, of their identity and try to, you know, fit them into our identity, which is different. That's one passage. Here's another one. Again, th this is coming out of Einaya, which is four volumes. Hopefully there'll be more volumes in the future. Um, Einaya is a commentary on the legends of the Talmud. And, uh, you know, the Talmud is quite voluminous. So uh, when we have all of it, it'll, it will be quite voluminous. It's already up to four volumes that look like this. This is um, one of four. Let me get the passage. I'm, I'm going to introduce this before I read it. Uh, I've mentioned to you names of some of the students and disciples of Rav Cook, his son, Svihuda Cook, 
the Nazir, the fellow with the long hair who couldn't drink wine, Nazarite, David Cohen. There's another one who's a very mysterious, enigmatic figure. He goes by the name of Monsieur Shushani, if anyone has heard of him. And uh, soon uh, there's going to be a, a documentary film about the life of Shushani by a, uh, a young uh, Frenchman. Uh, it should be amazing. The man is cloaked in mystery. He uh, was a vagabond, uh, wanderer, uh, a hobo, uh, homeless, uh, different uh, takes. Some will tell you he was a Lamed Vovnik. He was one of the 36 uh, hidden righteous. Others will tell you he was uh, just a uh, an eccentric uh, all agree that he was a phenomenal genius, had uh, a phenomenal memory, just uh, amazing. People who met him, such as uh, Professor Shalom uh, Rosenberg of Hebrew University, a professor of philosophy who just passed away, said that there are two types of people in the world, those that knew Shoshani and those that did not know Shoshani. Okay, that's how Rosenberg divided the human race. Those that had met Shoshani and those that didn't. Anyway, who is Shoshani? I don't know. He, he's buried in uh, Montevideo, Uruguay. He uh, he was a wanderer his whole life. Uh, he was a teacher to some very famous people. Elie Wiesel, I think you heard of Elie Wiesel. Uh, the uh, philosopher Emmanuel Levinas, uh, a dear friend of mine by the name of Andre Neher, who's another one. We're not sure whether he was a philosopher or a poet. And uh, many others, less famous. But uh, what the uh, biographers of Shoshani have come to understand is that Shoshani was a, an early disciple of Rav Kook in Yafo. Uh, Rav Kook was in Yafo from 1904 to 1914, that decade. And he had a yeshiva, if you want to call it that. It was uh, a pretty informal affair. The young man lived in Rav Kook's home. Uh, in fact, uh, at least one of them whom I interviewed had his eye on Rav Cook's daughter. You know how that works. You, you know, the disciples want to marry the uh, the rabbi's daughter, and uh, it looks like Shoshani was one of these young men. Why do I bring Shoshani up? I'm going to read you a piece from Enaya, where Rav Cook is going to turn the entire humanity into Yisrael. This is a very radical teaching. I don't know whether it will hold up halachically, but this is Rav Cook's futuristic vision. And Emmanuel Levinas, who was a, a French Jewish philosopher, wrote books on Talmud, 
again, on the Agadah, not the Halachav, not the, the legal portions of the Talmud, but the philosophic portions, writes that his master Shoshani, this vagabond, told him that he has license to interpret when he comes to the term Yisrael, it could include all of humanity. So this is a very radical teaching that Levinas recorded in the name of his teacher, Shoshani. But where did Shoshani get it from? I think he got it from this man, from Rav Kook. So listen to this teaching. Rav Kook is foreseeing the future, this, this messianic uh, era. And... Uh, in the future, Israel, the nation, will be on a high spiritual level. But the entire human race will go up to a higher level. So that whatever spiritual enlightenment the Jewish nation will have will be shared with all of mankind. So once again, Rav Kook mentions this halachic concept of the resident alien of the Ger Toshav. And he says, on the one hand, the, this spiritual light will be shared by Israel with all the nations, but there are hadachot pratiot, there are specific guidelines which the Torah itself uh, requires because different nations have different mentalities, different temperaments, and we're not going to put them all into uh, a straitjacket of, of, of the Jewish people. Uh, and this is the, the Mishpat, the, the law of the Ger Toshav, which we discussed before, which uh, recognizes that, uh, that non-Jews uh, have their own identity and their, their own personality, and we should not uh, force them to accept our, our uh, temperament. Because the foundation is that we will all know the one God and the ways of God. He says, but since everything will be coming out of the source of Israel, so he says in general, it's all Israel. Okay. So I think it's difficult to translate. So I think this is where Shoshani got it from, having grown up in Rav Cook's home, this kind of thinking that when we come across passages that talk about Israel, looking towards the future, towards universalism, we have license that Israel encompasses all of humanity. So that's something I would like to say about Ger Toshav.
And uh, I think uh, it's getting time for Q and A. Let me see what else. What oh, you know what else? Here I brought this goodie. This is Shulchan Aruch. These huge tomes. This is the Code of Jewish Law. And you know, halacha is much maligned. We hear a lot of bad things about halacha gets bad press, all the horrible things in, in Jewish law. But the truth is, you don't want to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, there are things which uh, the rabbis should be addressing. The aguna issue, you know, where it's difficult for a, a Jewish woman to receive a divorce. This is something that has to be addressed, and it's way overdue, uh, hundreds of years overdue. And we need great rabbis, bold rabbis, uh, courageous rabbis, like Rev Cook, who will do this. So I'm not telling you that the halachic system is uh, perfect, but I also, I don't want you to discard it. There is such wonderful wisdom in halacha that we can all benefit from it. And one thing that I observed, both from family members and communities that I served in over the years, that we Jews uh, are wonderful people. And we do for the whole world. And we should do for the whole world. Whoever is suffering, whether uh, they're uh, migrants from uh, from Latin America, whether they're Iranian women who are being uh, raped and and and, and uh, murdered in in the name of I don't know what. And we should also do for Ukrainians who have, right now they're, they're suffering from uh, their homeland being flooded. But never forget your family. Okay. And this is a teaching, and I'm going to read to you out of the Shulchan Aruch, and this is so important because, as I said, I had uh, extended family members who would, they would do for everyone on this planet. They would do for Native Americans, indigenous people, Palestinians, you name it. There's only one people that they forgot, their own people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. So the wisdom reads like this. It's in Yored Daya Hilchot laws of charity, how to, how to give charity, to whom to give charity. And Aniye Beito Kodmim Laniye Iro, the poor of your own household. Anyway, so I started to read you. This, this is Yored Daya Hilchot Staka Siman Reshnun Aleph. That's uh, two hundred and, and chapter two hundred and fifty-one, and it's paragraph three, and it reads: Aniye Beito Kodmim Laniye Iro. The poor of your own household take precedence over the poor of the the town. Vaniye Iro Kodmim Laniye Iracheret, and the poor of of your town. Take precedence over the poor of another town. 
another city. And uh, we could read more, but I think you got the message. So these concentric, we started with the Shemirubah, these concentric circles. And uh, God forbid that we should remain locked in and, and prisoners of egocentricity, narcissism, um, chauvinism, uh, all these isms. We, we have to spiritually evolve. So we have to go beyond our ego and, and uh, reach out to our family and from the family to the, the, the town, the city, the community, and to the entire nation and then the entire globe. And uh, as Rav Tzviuda said, you know, it also includes uh, ecology, uh, which is again that that's something uh, in the Torah. It's called Bal Tashchit that you you cannot wantonly destroy a tree. Bal Tashchit. So again, you know these are halachot that are so wonderful. There's so much wisdom in them. In the Torah, you have ecology. Bal Tashchit, Lo Tashchit. Don't wantonly cut down a tree. But uh, on the other hand, we, we have to follow the, the dictate of the Shulchan Aruch, the poor of your household, of your family, take precedence over the other people in the town. And the people in your town, when it comes to charity, take precedence over the poor of another town. So I think I spoke enough, and uh, let's open it up to Q&A. Thank you so much, Rabbi Noor. Um, yes, we'd love to open it up. If you have a question or a comment, please feel free to raise your hands and, and then unmute, or you can always use the chat as well. So I have a question. Rabbi, how this, do you... This is, this is known as boot camp. <laughs> no, not quite. I'm just curious about... How do you think Rav Cook would address some of the issues that are really almost existential in Israel right now? Um, you know, pro uh, relations with the Palestinians, overreaching government, um, all the all the kinds of issues that we're seeing right now in Israel that are kind of um, troublesome. What do you think Rob Cook's reaction might be? You know, I, I spoke about uh, various students of, of uh, Rav Cook. Uh, so there was a Rabbi uh, Menachem Froman, who was a friend of mine. And uh, he had studied under the, the, the man I studied under, Rav Tzviuda. Uh, if you don't know about him, you, sh you should find out about him. He was totally out of the box. And his approach would be the approach I would advocate is the, the more we keep politics and governments out of it, and the more that we insert and inject humanity, the better off it will be for Jews, for for non-Jews, Arabs, um, and that's what he was doing. He was a fellow, lived in uh, Midbar Yuda. Uh, he lived on a, a settlement uh, in, in the Judean desert. 
It was over the green line, and he had such excellent relations with his uh, Muslim neighbors. They loved him. And, you know, it wasn't contrived. It wasn't fake. It was a real love because that's who he was. He was a genuinely spiritual uh, rabbi. And uh, if you go on YouTube, you can see some amazing uh, footage of Rabbi Menachem Froman. You'll see him uh, in a uh, Arab village, not not Christian, uh, Muslim. Uh, he's wearing his tefillin. He had this kumrah, uh, we'll call it this. Uh, observance that he would wear his tefillin all day so you'll see him uh leading the the muslims to prayer wearing his tefillin it, it's uh, call it interfaith dialogue or whatever it's, it's the most amazing thing it it's yamot hamashiach you're, you're getting a uh a foshpais we say in yiddish you know like uh a, 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 an aperitif of what the messianic heir would be, the, the way Rav Cook uh, envisioned, the way Rabbi Nachman envisioned it. But it has to come from spiritual people. You want to keep the, the governments and the politicians out of it because they, they, they wreak havoc with everything they touch. It's the opposite of the Midas touch. You know, they Instead of turning everything to gold, they turn everything to, you know what, and I'm going to... Keep my, my my lips clean, uh, and we need spiritual people, men, women, children, uh, to to meet uh, our uh, non-Jewish counterparts uh, in, in love and and respect. Everything that Ruth Cook spoke about—that's what we need. So, again, unfortunately, we had one man, Menachem Froman. He died young. Uh, who had this ability. It's very rare because you, you have to go beyond your, your ego and, and, and all your preconceived notions. You have to go out of your comfort zone. Thank you. Hi, Aglaya. I think we have time for one more question. So over to you. Okay. So speaking of getting out of your comfort zone. All right. So I'm going to preface this by saying I've had young, usually it's young men who come in with these like QAnon rants and everything though. And usually what I do is I just let them talk and keep them talking as long as they possibly until they run out of steam. Because a lot of the time though, all they want to do is really have someone listen to them rather than do anything harmful to anyone. But in the case with um, Rav Cook though, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, though, but there were also, there are some things, you know, that he said about women that were, I'm not exactly too sure I agree with and everything. However, though, what I also know about him, though, is that when it came to, you know, are you open to being criticized? How open are you to taking, accepting criticism? So, which, you know, like, I mean, if he's open to being criticized and everything, though, then I can say, okay, well, this is this is my critique of, you know, this, this, is, and you can have, I would love to hear your critiques of me. So what are the roles of, well, like, what is the place of actually sitting there and saying, okay, someone in my community, you know, like, take, for instance, Israel, all of these different opinions that people might have, take a critique. What is the role of taking the critique of your position? Okay. Well, I, I heard so many different things. One thing I, I heard at the beginning was that 
Rev Cook was was not uh, was not a feminist. Um, you know, I I think his thinking changed as time went on. Um, back in the the twenties, uh, there was the issue of women's suffrage, where uh, women uh, had not been able to vote until then. And in the beginning, he didn't think it was a good idea that women would vote. He thought women should stay at home and they, they shouldn't be suffragettes. But he retracted his thinking on that. Um, so what that tells me is uh, he was somebody who uh, was flexible. He, he wasn't inflexible. His thinking could uh, evolve. Uh, that's a specific issue. But I think uh, you're asking more than that. Could he accept uh, criticism, uh, or, or was he somebody who was uh, ironclad? Uh, you know, he passed away in 1935. So, in all honesty, I wasn't there. I didn't know him. I know him only through his writings. But I, I get the, the sense that, as I said, that this is an evolving consciousness. It's a fellow who is just constantly uh, broadening his horizon. He, he's expanding his consciousness. So I think when people are that way, you can dialogue with them. Um, I think they, they are open to uh, other viewpoints. Thank you so much. Um, we are almost out of time, but I want to thank you again, Rabbi Noor, for being with us today. And again, thank you, Beth L, for your partnership as always. Um, next week, we will be joined by Dr. Nathaniel Berman on uh, June 15th at 1 p.m. Pacific time for his talk, Is Territory Sacred? Unexpected Kabbalistic Teachings for an Age of Religious Conflict. So if you're available, we would love to have you all back again next week for that. And thank you all for learning with us today. And I hope you all have a great uh, rest of your day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.